The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. As always, Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes to have an open, honest, and frank conversation about gambling addiction. And as always, joining us from the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey is our friend, the Assistant Executive Director of that group. You know better as 1-800-GAMBLER, but that's Danny Trelaro. Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. So, you know, we talk a lot on this show with other uh, compulsive gamblers, and we've heard a lot of... You know, emotional stories of ruin. And to be fair, a lot of stories of people that come out of the embers of, of ruin and rebuild their lives and have a lot to look forward to and are blessed to have family and loved ones still standing by their sides. But we've not spent a lot of time talking about actual addiction and what it is about us, our makeup, that lends us to be uh, come compulsive gamblers or quote-unquote gambling addicts. So I'm really happy to have on the phone with us this morning. Dr. Timothy Fong, who's a professor of psyche, psychiatry, pardon me, and also the co-director of UCLA's Gambling Studies Program. Dr. Fong, we appreciate a few minutes of your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So a few things right out of the gate. You know, a lot of people, I was probably one of them, frankly, before I kind of fell ill to the addiction of gambling, said there's no such thing as gambling addiction. You just made a lot of really bad choices. For those out there that don't get it, how do you respond to that type of comment? This is the work we've been doing for the last 25 years. Gambling addiction, or as we call it now, gambling disorder, is a brain disorder. It's a biological, psychological, and social condition. About 40% of the reason that people develop this addiction is genetic. It's just the stuff you're born with. You know, it's just like alcohol, or cocaine, or opioid use disorder or addiction. It's genetic. And the other 60% is psychological, kind of your personality, your early life experience, as well as social, who you grow up with, availability to gambling, your peers, just the stuff in the world that you consume. So it's really complex, and it's not not just a simple matter of morality, lack of willpower, greed, quote, stupidity. Uh, it's none of those things. And that's really taken me a couple of decades to really grasp that and understand that well. And it is in all the science textbooks out there, you know, that the average person will never read. Gambling addiction is recognized now globally as an addiction no different than alcohol, drugs, etc. Correct? Oh, absolutely. And that came into our fancy Bible slash handbook in 2013, where we filed gambling disorder with the other addictions, tobacco, alcohol, caffeine, cocaine. So it's really remarkable that we've now seen that. And you think about other addictions, they're just behaviors too. The behaviors of snorting cocaine or injecting heroin, that's a behavior. The gambling behavior is, you know, betting, clicking on a mouse, pulling the slot machine, throwing the dice out there. It's just a different form of behavior. You're just not ingesting a, quote, substance into your brain, but your brain is reacting intensely and very differently than men and women that don't have gambling disorder. I've heard uh, comments made in the past that, you know, if you ever did some type of a PET scan on a gambler's brain while they were gambling, that the wins and losses don't register as much as just the actual playing or the risk. And I wonder if you could walk us through that based on your uh, your studies and your history uh, in this world. 
Oh, absolutely. And another way to think about it, everything in a brain of a person with gambling disorder is a little bit different. That's a key phrase. It's not damaged. It's not, quote, dysfunctional or ruined. It's just different. And it starts with things like anticipation of gambling or anticipation of reward, where parts of the brain will light up and be much more active. Other parts of the brain that control the breaks on our behavior, the just say no, if you will, or I'm not going to do that, they're built differently. So gamblers tend to be more impulsive. They tend to be more reactive, sensation-seeking, thrill-seeking, looking for ways to experience action as well as escape. Uh, we've done some neuroimaging through the years, basically showing, like cocaine, you know, if you have a problem with cocaine use and you see cocaine, your brain lights up in the regions of the brain that wants things. It's the same thing with gambling disorder. Men and women with gambling addiction, when they see signs and smells of casinos, when they see that billboard right there, their brain will then get activated in the part that says, go, 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 and coupled with the, the breaks on the brain that say, no, 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 which are, in this case, not working as efficiently as they ought to be. That's kind of how you start to get these uh, brain changes uh, in the brain. But so let me, let me stop things, you on that because yeah. that's interesting. You said brain changes. And you know, I, I can only speak to my personal experience, but there was a point, at least I think there was, when I was able to gamble responsibly where I had a set amount of money and if I lost it, I lost it, you know, come back another day. And then there was a clearly defined moment in my life when I wasn't able to do that or I didn't care enough to do it or I guess what gambling provided me emotionally and mentally, you know, became my drug. But you mentioned the brain changing. Does that mean that for a guy like me or the other people that have you know, been a part of this show or the people out there that are gambling addicts or, or ultimately going to find out that they are maybe predisposed to gambling addiction, that it's an evolution of the brain towards that? You know, it, it can be. The way I think of it this way, in the mid-90s, we used to talk about with substance use disorder, when people took enough drugs, that there would be, quote, a switch that happened in the brain where suddenly the neurocircuitry and the neurons and the chemistry of the brain then had changed because of years of using substances. With gambling, we haven't quite proven that, but we think it's very similar, where you can gamble socially, recreationally, without problems for a while, then all of a sudden there's some sort of change, and change in the experience, where there becomes more preoccupation, more chasing, less control, less ability to stop. And we think when you have those behavioral instances, that's reflective of changes in brain structure or brain functioning. Now, you may say, wait a minute, what's changing my brain? Because I'm not ingesting anything. Right. Well, think about all the sleep deprivation that happens from gambling. That's really not good for the brain. Think about how your body is on fight or flight, you know, adrenaline and all those hormones running around for not just a couple of minutes, but for hours on end. We know that those hormone changes uh, when exposed to the brain can actually change brain structure, brain functioning, alter neurochemicals. So that's why when I would tell, would tell people, again, it's not damage. It's just that your brain is now functioning at different levels. So Mother Nature really didn't you know, the lack of sleep, you know, is it was a huge deal to me. I, I would go literally. There were, I mean, I've I've been awake for two plus days, and I was probably averaging at best maybe two and a half, three hours of sleep for a prolonged period of time. Right. So, is the whatever damage that does to someone's brain, is that ultimately reversible? Where if you live a long enough period of time, once you've gotten the addiction under control and you're getting regular sleep where the brain kind of repairs itself based on whatever damage you may have done to it? 
Oh, absolutely. And you think about the brain as basically like silly putty. It's mushy. It can change. It's very plastic. And think about people who've had massive strokes and they can't talk. And then about eight months later, they're able to talk and walk again. That shows you how well our brains can recover. So that's why it's so critical every day in recovery. What are you doing today that's going to make your brain healthy? That's why I say to all my patients, I don't say, what are you going to do today to not gamble? I say, what are you going to do today to make your brain healthy? Sleep, nutrition, physical movement, laughter, joy, all those sort of things, those are the things that will make our brain healthy. So absolutely, when you get into full recovery, your brain can heal and can recover so that you don't experience what you had, which was inability to control gambling, intense desire, preoccupation, impulsive behavior that's just not part of your moral code. Those are the signs of addiction, and those signs go away when the brain recovers. We're talking to Dr. Timothy Fong. He's the co-director of UCLA's uh, Gambling Studies Program. Uh, Dan's on the phone with us as well as always, but you know, have this opportunity to talk to uh, someone like yourself, Doc. We don't want to pass that up. So, Dan, I apologize for the lack of questions for you today. Um, <laughs> no, that's 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 perfectly fine. And what Dr. Fong just said, which is something that we've talked about, and and he summarized it so well. You're creating a new life where gambling no longer fits in because you're not focusing on what are you doing to not gamble. To Dr. Fong's point, what are you doing to laugh, to play, to eat healthy, to get your sleep? You're creating that whole new life. So, so. then I got to ask the question based on that, Doc. Do you Are you a believer in your studies that abstinence is the only answer? Or do you think, and I, I'm, I'm painfully going to ask this question, that a one-time compulsive gambler could get to a place where he actually could gamble responsibly? You know, people have been asking this question since I was a kid, and I'll say it as I always say right now, you know, I don't know. Uh, Every person's individual story. There are a lot of patients I have who very clearly full total abstinence is the goal and the only way to get them better. There are others that I've worked with for years who are able to return to different forms of gambling, but just not the form of gambling that was problematic for them. So my goal, I always say to patients, it's not for you to stop gambling. It's to stop having problems related to gambling. Because gambling is things that we do every day in our lives. It's risk-taking. It's taking a chance. Do I take the 10 or the 4 or 5 to get to work? Do I listen to the Craig Carton show or do I listen to Howard Stern? I mean, these are gambles, right? And just different kinds of gambles that we make. So it's really not about stopping gambling. It's stopping problem gambling. We'll continue on in a moment with Dr. Fong from UCLA and, of course, Dan Trelauer. The name of the show is Hello, My Name is Craig. Hopefully, if you have someone in your life that you think has a gambling problem, you hear this type of show and you get them help. One way to get them help is by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, and that's where Dan Trelauer comes from, the Assistant Executive Director of the Council on Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey. We'll continue on right after this on The Fan. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Thank you for joining us. Still joined by Dr. Timothy Fong professor of psychiatry and the co-director of UCLA's Gambling Studies Program. Uh, one follow-up, then we'll move forward with some other stuff, uh, Dr. Fong. I used it as an escape, and you referenced that uh, a few moments ago, that one of the reasons uh, people maybe become addicts is that they're looking for an escape. And for me, there's no doubt about it. Gambling was an escape. But what I'm trying to figure out is, you know, I got to a point where... The winning and losing didn't matter. I enjoyed the cocoon 
of gambling, of your know, six decks of cards, chips in front of me, and the ability to play as long as possible. What was going on inside my brain, if you can generically answer that question, that made me feel so at ease inside that cocoon of a blackjack table? Well, you said it perfectly right there. You felt at ease. You were comfortable. Your suffering was relieved. So essentially what was happening is your brain was spilling out various neurochemicals like dopamine, uh, various other opioids, other endorphins that allowed you to remain calm, uh, decrease anxiety, find peace with yourself. Uh, and, and that's the goal of what we all want in life, you know, whether it's at work or at play or whatnot. We want that uh, feeling of serenity. The problem, of course, is that that feeling of serenity is just temporary, and as soon as the gambling ends, that's when all the problems resurface. So inside your brain, it's bliss in some ways. And, and I had, I always remember in the mid-90s, when one of my very first patients, he said, I'm addicted to, quote, cocaine and gambling. But he said, the only time I could leave the rock of cocaine in my pocket was when I was at the blackjack table in Atlantic City. And that really struck me and, he, and really helped me understand what he was saying is that the emotions and the feelings and the natural state that he was in by gambling was completely blissful. And, so the, and that so only the, yeah, came inside the casino. So the gambling took the place of the cocaine. He didn't feel the need to be uh, have the effects of cocaine because right. the, uh, the euphoria or whatever the word might be from the gamble took place of the cocaine. Got it. Right. And he described it so well. It's just the surge of energy and the awakeness and the alertness and the mood and the thoughts. So thoughts, feelings, and behaviors which are created and managed by neurotransmitters and uh, neuro neurons and things like that. Those were all in right. sync for the time of gambling. I used to feel it when, when I'll never forget, when, I, when you would go through the last toll on the Atlantic City Expressway, and then started to see the buildings in the uh, horizon, I absolutely felt differently. I, it was tangible. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. tangible to me. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, you know, and you think about what was happening, you're coursing through your veins at that point, the adrenaline, the dopamine surges, and all these neurochemicals that are not normally there day in, day out, but when you experience it, it really is a high. It's no different so, than, than the runner's high, if you will. You know, one of the things I worry about, I'm a dad, I have four kids, and gambling's never been more prevalent or easy to access. You know, uh, my kids have cell phones, meaning that they have access to casinos, you know, when I'm not around. And I know you also are part of an initiative uh, studying uh, cannabis use out there at UCLA. And it's kind of, to me, it's, it's almost like a grab bag, right? They're in a weird way combined where do I have to worry now that my kid might you know, be getting high, which I may not have a huge problem with, but then that's going to lend them to you know, be more open to, oh, you know, I'm kind of chilling and relaxing. My buddies are you know, playing poker online or wagering on sporting events. Is there a connection, like some kind of comorbid connection between drug use and gambling, especially amongst younger people that you guys are now start, starting to see? Oh, there's no doubt. Again, remember, much of this is genetic, you know, for all addictions, gambling, cannabis, alcohol, tobacco at the same time. So for your kids, you know, they, they got half your genes. They got yours and, of course, their mother's. But the story of developing addiction is way more than just genes. You know, part of the concern we have for young people with cannabis is that the younger that they are to their first exposure, that's what drives up risk. Same thing with gambling. So if you start smoking or using cannabis at age 9 or 10, your risk of developing an addiction by 18 or 19 is way higher than if you wait till you're 18. So that's a concern. We also know that's true to be gambling there as well. But, you know, a lot of our, our kids are gambling at six, seven years old, you know, in the Chuck E. Cheese's and things like that. So right. 
at the end of the day, what I always tell parents is that, oh, my God, I'm so worried about my kid. Oh, what should I do? What should I do? I should say, go back and do the things that we know prevent addiction, connection, self-care, building self-esteem, having kids learn to deal with loss, letting kids know they are not the greatest thing since sliced bread, having kids realize they have to earn it and work on things and to learn how to deal with, with just negative emotions. I think that's the biggest part of preventing addictions is letting kids know how to deal with adversity and how to build community. So in other words, get back to parenting and stop worrying about being their friends. Well, you know, we say in LA, <laughs> right. I know it's different in New York, I'm sure, but you have permission to parent. You can say no to your child using a substance that technically is illegal until they're 21. You don't have to give them a joint. You don't have to smoke with them, and don't let them call you by your first name. Yeah, that, that is such a bugaboo of mine. I know I have some friends whose kids call them by their first name. I'm like, what are you doing? You remember that it Brady doesn't bunch sound episode? right. Okay. Ugh. <laughs> uh, talking to Dr. Fong and uh, Dan Chilaro. So here's the question. Uh, and I don't want to be the sky's falling type of guy because I'm not. How big a concern is it for those people like yourself that study gambling addiction, the direction the country's going in where, I mean, the next five years, I would think, you know, 45 states are going to have legalized gambling in one way or another. Alabama just approved it yesterday or earlier this week. New York's going to have it in 2022 and on and on and on. How big a problem or let me rephrase that. How bigger of a problem do you think gambling addiction is going to be? Well, look at this. I don't think we're going to have a, quote, gambling crisis or a gambling surge like we do with opioids. Back in the mid-90s, before all the gambling surge, you know, think of Vegas and Atlantic City and Indian casinos and lotteries, uh, the prevalence rate was about almost 1%, 1.5% of the general population with gambling uh, addiction. It's still about that same rate now. We have way more gambling than, than ever. I do worry about the people who fall into it uh, that develop problems at an early stage, and they wait until it's too late. So most of the people that come in to see us in treatment, by the time they come in, it's really bad. It's really severe. Sure. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. And had they come in a year ago or even two years prior, we could have stopped the stem and the damage. So I think I'm not worried about expansion of gambling because gambling is something that American society has demanded for since our inception in the in 1700s. I'm more concerned about how do we increase the demand for treatment and the demand for gambling in a healthy response. Way. Gambling at its best brings people together, community, joy, activity. A lot of people would argue on that, but at the same time, if we try and get rid of it, it's just going to drive it underground. So we might as well bring it above board, encourage people to do it in a healthy way, and have help at a way earlier stage. I don't know how do you make treatment seeking for gambling cool. I don't know how you get that person who's had that first bad run to come in for help right away instead of waiting for a year or two years later. To I wish we had the answer. I've said a million times that you know what, like what Dan and his group does is nothing short of miraculous, but I've, I've also said, you know, merely saying at the end of a commercial gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER, it's just not, it's not adequate. And well, then, not only just that, but saying it very fast, call 1-800-GAMBLER right. if you have a problem. <laughs> I really don't know. We've been trying to wrestle with that question for years, and uh, we're not quite there yet, but but, but shows like your, this, conversations with your kids early on, absolutely, that's the starting point. Well, Doc, I appreciate it very, very much, and hopefully you'll have some time to join us again uh, down the road. And, 
Yo, guys like that do what you do. Uh, listen, you're saving lives. It may not seem it to other people, but I know my life was saved by uh, you know, going to uh, to a uh, therapy, a rehab center, and then you're being willing to to have these conversations. And I think that I don't know if, if what you found in your studies, but for me, the the hardest part was the admission of having a problem. And then once you admit, or I got to speak to about myself, once I admitted. I took ownership that I had a problem. The rest of it kind of became pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and that's the thing is that just understanding that you have an addiction by definition is difficult when you have some some changes in your brain that uh, that a lot that create difficulties in understanding situations. So many of our patients with gambling, they don't have a gambling problem. It's a problem with luck. It's a problem with money. It's a problem with the spouse. It's a problem with time management. You know, right. And that's, that's the part trying to close that gap that, that we're working on. And in a weird way, the gambling wasn't the problem. I was the problem. Absolutely. If that makes sense. It does. It does. And that's why, again, having discussions like this, putting it out there, getting people to talk about it, and that's the key. It's like a heart attack. Instead of waiting to your fifth heart attack to go to the doctor, let's, let's get in earlier when you're starting to have some early chest pains. Got it. Well, I appreciate your time very, very much. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. You can check out Dr. Fong's uh, studies and uh, website, UCLAGamblingProgram.org. Doc, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care, everybody. All right, so there goes Dr. Fong. Dan, uh, we're just about out of time here, uh, and it's so great having somebody like that on who spends their life studying addiction. Any final thoughts you have as where we uh, move into the later stages of April? Baseball season, of course, well underway, and I know you guys are very busy over at the council. Yeah, you know, Dr. Fong is great. I've had the privilege to, to work with him. We've known him. He's a good friend of the council for years, and he just delivers information in such a way that you can relate to, and he's spot on when he talks about those you know, we're talking about this addiction as a biopsychosocial, the genetic component, the environment, the social, you know, everything that the two of you are talking about today. I just think about my own life and say, wow, you know, I, I just love listening for the last 20 minutes, just like you did. And just even learning from him. I mean, all the stuff we talk about hearing it in a new way was just amazing. So yeah, and he, the, he's great. And the beauty of it is that here's a guy that deals with addiction. So he sees the worst of it, I imagine. But to come out and say that, listen, there are some good things associated yep. with gambling. He's in favor of more yep. legalized gambling. And the thing, uh, most importantly to me, is that whatever damage you know, we've done to our brains, it can be fixed. That's the beauty of neuroplasticity, right? The changing shape of the brain. And you can unravel and you can reshape the brain and you can heal. And, it's, and again, it's, it's not damage. It's just, you know, different, right? We're not damaged or flawed human beings that are morally weak. We're, we're different. We process things a little differently, and I think it was really great that he brought that out. That's a great point, Dan. Appreciate it. Unfortunately, we are flat out of time. Coming up uh, on 10 o'clock, Evan Roberts is coming up next. As always, appreciate your time, and if you have a problem, think you might have a problem, or just as important, you have a loved one that you're concerned about, you can always call Dan and his uh, staff at 1-800-GAMBLER, the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey. Dan, always appreciate the time. Have a great weekend. You do the same. Thanks, Craig. All right, everybody, that does it for us. Hello, my name is Craig. See you again next Saturday at 930. And, of course, Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock with my main man, Evan Roberts, right here on The Fan.